We're going to be in First uh, John this evening. Um, so my topic of the night coming out of this is uh, being the first teaching of 2020. I've had this inspiration that when I first hear the word 2020, I think of vision, right? And I remember being a kid, and I remember hearing one time that I had 2020 vision, and I said, man, I have perfect vision. But then kind of after studying and looking at it, it's really just a Snellen chart that you look at and you get 20 feet away and you cover one eye and you can see from a 20 foot distance. Doesn't mean you have perfect vision. So I was thinking, man, I would love to have, be able to do that from 100 and 100, if I could do that from 100 and 100. So that was kind of my thing going into it. And I'm like, so where in scripture can I find a good vision? So I started looking into that and it's just all over the place. I'm talking prophecies of Daniel and I mean, visions of Isaiah, seeing the Lord and it's like, man, you know, so coming into the new year, I really picked out First John, just thinking of John taking the hindsight and looking back at his walk with the Lord Jesus and the things that he did in front of him. And, uh, and he's putting the pen to the paper by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us this epistle. So the Old Testament will give us over 300 prophecies of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I kind of look at that as seeing this, that's a vision of the, of the coming of the Messiah. You can write that down and look at it. We can think about it. How's it going to come out? How's it going to play? This is where Jesus is going to be born. And these are the prophecies of thinking about the future. So the Gospels give us the four accounts of the men who laid sight on Jesus and who are interacting with him. And as these prophecies were being laid out. So now at that time they didn't fully understand, but later God would reveal it and open their eyes to these things. If you remember in Luke 24, 44, it says this. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus speaking of himself. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is Jesus after the resurrection telling the disciples, I'm going to open your eyes to these things, and you can see who I am in the scriptures. So John's writing this epistle. This is a Catholic epistle, which doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic meaning universal. This wasn't entitled to a certain church, but ultimately a letter left for us in all of the churches afterwards. Um, so he's writing this around A.D. 95. This was uh, about 60 years after Jesus' resurrection. There was a false doctrine creeping in the church. And these were men that would claim to be spiritual elites. Um, they actually rose up from within the church as John was pastoring Ephesus. Uh, he was writing these le letters to Asia Minor. Um, and the, the thing that was rising up was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, the word gnosis means to know, an intimate knowing. But Gnosticism is uh, guys that had thought they had a higher knowledge or a, a separate sect of Christianity that was claiming that Jesus wasn't a human. Jesus didn't come as man, but he was a phantom. He was a spirit. As if he were to walk, his feet wouldn't plant on the sea or on the sand, and that he just wasn't the incarnation God in the flesh that we just celebrated over Christmas time. I don't know. I read that poem and just the, uh, I read it on Christmas Eve, and just the, um, 
just the realness of, of the birth in the manger and Joseph being a midwife and the smell of the barn and things just really hit me over this season of how reality it was that God of eternity stepped down to be born in a manger and to come as a ransom for many. Um, these Gnostics believe that all matter is inherently evil and the soul of man is transcendent and only the spiritual is good. So all flesh and everything that isn't spiritual is ultimately evil. And this is what they believed. So in the context of these false teachers, they were rising up from within the church and they were denying the incarnation. And, God, and John is writing this letter to clarify and stop the heresies that they were speaking. Um, I heard a guy named Bill Foote. He says, if you eliminate the humanity of Christ, then you eliminate the atonement of Christ. So Christ came in man to be the sacrifice for us so that we may be free. And if you eliminate the fact that God did not come in flesh and was died and crucified on the cross, buried and resurrected as a human, then our sacrifice wasn't made acceptable by him. It wasn't for us. So they were trying to eliminate that. And everything that follows that, his teachings and who he is and his, his, uh, his example for us, you know, and his, his relationship with the Father, everything he did in human body is an example for us to live and to follow after Jesus in this way. Uh, one thing that stands out to me real heavy with John, and I, I take this in the, in the imaginary, but I heard this one time, was that John in his later days as he was is teaching the church, he had a very deep voice. So every time I read John, I always picture this very deep voice man. And they would call him baraphonos, which is like a baritone, like a deep thing. So let's just say you're reading the opening of John 1 and in the beginning was like, kind of like a King Graves voice. I don't know if you guys have heard King Graves, but a really deep voice. And I just hear that kind of as he's speaking. And, and when he was called by the Lord to come and be his disciple... I believe at that time, you know, I heard that his uh, vocabulary wasn't as educated as most would be. So when you look at the depths of his writings and having maybe a vocabulary of 300 plus words, but using these in the Greek and the, and the examples of talking about eternity and the word was eternal and just how it all lays out, just really encourages of a work of the Holy Spirit to me. So let's jump in. I'm going to read the first four verses. And pray, and then I'll try to expound what I believe the Lord's given me even in my sickness. So, so John 1, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, I thank you for your son, Lord, and the example that he's given us, Lord, and the sacrifice he paid on the cross, Lord, that we could be brought back into communion with you, Father. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the deep truths in it, God, and, and I'm just amazed that you would give me an opportunity to try and expound on these things, Lord, and I just pray that you would use me, Lord, to try and uh, communicate this word. So I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
So that which was from the beginning. Now we see three beginnings in scripture. We see the beginning of creation. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was the beginning of creation. That's the time, space, and matter, and everything. If you can believe and put your faith in that first verse, I think we could have a good walk in growing in discipleship. But that's some of the hardest things to communicate to the world these days. That God is the creator and the designer of everything we see and, to, and, and, and everything we see. So that's the beginning of creation. Then we have in Mark chapter 1, we have the beginning of the good news or the beginning of the gospel, which is in the book of Mark. And Luke will be starting that book on Sundays. We'll be walking through that chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I believe starting this Sunday coming up. And in Mark 1, 1 through 4 reads, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And we see uh, that being declared in Mark that Jesus was coming to preach a baptism of repentance and to be for the remissions of sins. And this was the beginning of the good news. So we see the beginning of creation. We see the beginning of the good news. And then John would take it back to the beginning before there was a beginning in his gospel, which some would say and call it the eternity past. So in John's gospel, it starts out as, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John tries to take it back even before creation to when it was just the triune God before anything. Jesus, the Father, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were as one God. And I want to jump down to John 1:14 real quick, and it just says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me, and of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And the two things in that I just wanted to point out was, we're going to see in First John as well, is, and the Word became flesh. And I like the end of that there. He says, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. So we see the Word, which is the communication of God. If you think about when we speak, we make a sound that comes from a thought from our mind, which is an overflow of our heart, and we communicate that. So when I think about the word that Jesus was the fullness of God's communication to us, and when it says he's in the bosom of the Father, that Jesus was the manifestation of God's heart to us, the sacrifice for humanity to be set free. What a joy it is to try and get to know him. I probably just read a bunch of verses to you guys, and believe me, I've been chewing on them for days, and I I just cuts off like I can't go back any further so you know John in John's gospel he wrote as they were sitting around the table and they were feasting he says now there was one leaning on Jesus's bosom as one of his disciples whom Jesus loved so I'm going to be going back a little bit from first John into the gospel because John parallels a lot so if you guys want to stay there 
It's up to you, but I'll just be reading them out. But here's John leaning on Jesus' bosom, the same one that came from the bosom of the Father. And when we talk about the bosom, we're talking about the centerpiece of the chest. And I just see the Father's arms kind of holding out the one who is our Savior. And now here is John fighting off this false heresy that's coming in the church that Jesus was a phantom or some kind of ghost. But giving the recollection and the recollections of the time spent with the Lord. So he starts off in the next thing is which we have heard. That Greek word would be akuo. I probably didn't pronounce that right. And I think about having a conversation with somebody in the Greek. And it must have been a very intellectual conversation. These words in the Greek really just get me stirred up, you know. And it's a verb of active listening, uh, which we have heard. So it's to hear once and to continue hearing. As if somebody had said something. And you continue hearing it after. You continue to chew on it and meditate on it. So here's John writing in this, saying, which we have heard. And I think one of the things that stand out pretty tough to me was John, in his gospel, in verse 31, says, I forget what chapter. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Jesus speaking said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is one of the things that Jesus spoke to John, which I could just hear John chewing on and remembering and hearing. You know, a new commandment I give to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. You also have loved one another. Have you guys ever experienced maybe sitting under a teaching or a pastor that has spoken the word and you continue to hear that over and over? I mean, I know over the last year in 2019, one of the things that sticks out to Pastor Rob was he'd always say, it's not an option if you take it off the table, you know? And I mean, I've, I've been countless days at work and driving and looking at the drive through and, you know, it's not an option. Sin isn't an option if you take it off of the table. Right? A uh, thing that rings with me with Pastor Luke this year already is uh, Philippians 2.14. Is do all things without complaining or disputing. I was literally going to get him a coffee cup made. You know? Do all things without complaining or disputing. Um, old pastor down in Frederick, Pastor David. He would, uh, I just remember and I can still hear it. You know, as I step into ministry and try to do things in my life. And, but God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know? And it just rings in my heart in a lot of moments, you know. I try to get up and do things all in my flesh and realize, man, I need the Lord, man. Definitely for this life and these things that are going on. Um, but you can hear these things. You've heard these things once, but you continue to hear them. And here's John writing to this church that's been infected with a heresy, saying, listen, we have heard him. What are some of the things you remember from last year that have been chewing on you? Those are good things to share, you know. Uh, next thing he says is which we have seen with our eyes so this isn't just like kind of looking I know I see a lot of things with my eyes now that technology is up and I'll scroll on my phone things will be going fast but this is to mean this gives prominence to, to the discerning mind it means to look at with your eyes and to discern with your mind at the same time so let's say you're reading something you know and you're going through it fast and something stands out and catches you and you, and, and you stop and you look at it and 
This is John saying he was seeing Jesus in the flesh. This was the God. We have been with him. We have, we have heard him. We know him. And we have seen him with our eyes. We looked at him and we studied him and we discerned him. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, 27 through 29, he says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And I think about Thomas seeing Jesus. I don't see Thomas saying, man, I'm, I'm going in for the touch. I need to handle that. I see him seeing it and being transformed in Jesus speaking. Hey, you have seen me and have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Is that where our faith is in Jesus? He was the fully God, fully man, sacrificed for sin. The joy set before him was you and I stepping into this year. The next one that he says there is uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon. Now I'm going to tear this Greek word up, but it says theomai. It's where we get the word theater. So it means to, be, to behold and to look upon and to view attentively and to contemplate. I mean, you can think about you go to the movies and watch a movie. We sit there for an hour and a half and, and watch. But these were guys that were with Jesus in ministry for three and a half years. And they seen everything he did from eating and sleeping to, to him breaking away to pray and be with the Father. And everything we've seen throughout the Gospels. Um, if I could pick one out of the Gospels, that would be... I would look at it as theatrical. It would be Jesus walking on water, man. It would just be that, that simple. And, and sometimes when I read that scripture, I try to meditate and chew on it as if I was sitting there and actually did see this son of God who was fully man walking on water. Um, and that's John 6, 15 through 21. I'm not going to read it, but he steps into our hands have handled. So John is writing out that our hands have handled. We have seen him. We have heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon. Our hands have handled uh, Luke twenty four thirty nine says, Behold my hands, my feet, that is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Um, to handle means to, to handle, feel, and touch. And, and uh, this is concerning the word of life. That's how he ends out there on the, on the verse 1. Um, to be concerned with the word of life, the word there is logos. And it means the word uttered by a living voice and embodied a conception or an idea or what someone has said. So recap in just verse 1, which is a lot, and you can go back and see these in the Gospels, is John's writing this letter to the church to defend the heresy that he has heard Jesus and he still hears Jesus. He has seen him with his eyes and he still discerns the actions that he's had. He has looked upon him and he's studied him and he's admired him. He's walked behind him as they were walking and seen him as a man. His hands have handled them from the resurrection to his resurrection body, from his death to resurrection. Uh, and he's writing all this to defend that, which is saying we have been there and we have been with him. So this life was, in verse 2, let's jump down to verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was from the Father, was manifested to us. So the life was manifested, means Jesus was made known and he was visible. And what was made known is that he was a human man and he was God. He was incarnated by the Holy Spirit through Mary and born in a manger. And he come to die to save the world. 
Um, and to bear witness means to give testimony of that. Life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, that was which with the Father, was manifested to us. I was sitting on the couch with uh, Owen the other day, who's, who's about three. I'm just trying to give you a picture of this, just a little simple life thing. And we were sitting on the couch and looking at a picture on the wall, and it was me, Megan, and Cameron, but no Owen. And Owen was looking at the picture, and he says, Daddy, I'm not in the picture, you know. And at that moment, it clicked to me, and I said, I know, I think Mommy was pregnant, but you weren't manifested to us yet. We had your name, we had everything picked out, but here you are sitting with me now on my lap looking at this picture, and, and I was just starting, I think, to comprehend if I was going to try and walk through this teaching, and there's so much in this. And I'm like, that's kind of what Jesus was related. He was manifested. I mean, Owen's here now. He's, he's, in, he's in flesh. He's hanging out with me. But before, he was just a thought. And, uh, you know, it just really rang my heart, man, the beauty of it. Just sitting there with him and saying, I'm not in the picture. I said, I know, but you're coming. You'll be in. Right. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. But it was a beautiful story. And it just really strung to my heart about my son being manifested there with us. Um, Let's jump down to verse 3. That which we have seen and heard and declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John reiterates again. He's that which we have seen. We have laid our eyes upon him. We have heard him. And when we hear him, we hear the voice of God. When we see him in the flesh, we have saw God. He says that you also may have fellowship with us. And that word fellowship is koinonia in the Greek. It's probably one of the hardest words to translate from what I've, what I've getting. Uh, there's koinonia, koinoneus, uh, a couple different versions of it. But the basis of it is this uh, to commune with, to share with, to have one, be in participation with, to the fact of intimacy and fellowship. I believe this is a call to the churches to have this fellowship as we gather under the one Son of God who was born, who lived out a life that was perfect. And as I remember Rob saying, he probably never made a table that had a defect. You know, there was no sin in his life. He never ripped anybody off. But he did everything to the point to where he was baptized. The Father said, this is my Son who I am well pleased and there is no sin in him. And the fellowship that we stand under the cross from the blood that was shed from Jesus, that we could be free from sins by faith in him. We have this fellowship, we have this bond, and we have this community. And back in the day, probably around right after this time, I forget the exact date, but you know, they would literally, if you had a need, you would come to the church and everybody would take care of that need. And we have the kind of same thing, we have a benevolence program here and we try to take care of people if it, the needs are, 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 are met in that time. Um, so, you know, it's koinonia and it's intimacy and it's fellowship. And, you know, I experienced something at, uh, went to the shepherd's, shepherd's school up in a castle up in Oil City, PA. And it's probably like 40 men from Calvary Chapels all up and down the East Coast. And there was something about the fellowship within there and the way that the Lord was speaking. You know, you're with these guys for two weeks. You're sitting under teachings for eight hours a day and you would you would break away go play some ping pong and we'd have some conversations and I'd talk about some things or some doubts or you know and as soon as we would gather back up for the teaching I mean directly from the Lord the word the Lord would speak directly into the situation we were just talking about and I kind of look over at the guy over here and I'd be like you know and, and you're like Lord how do you know these things well if the word of God is living and active 
And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And it was just amazing to see that spirit and that koinonia and work. We're sharing in our feelings and in our lives and our testimonies and what the Lord has brought us from. And it was just amazing to see the spirit of God work through his word by the fellowship and the relationship we have that we place our faith in his son. And here we stand as one body. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. You know, how great is that to know that if a brother goes off and he's, he's in ministry or he's, he's doing another thing, but they come and get that letter back, man, he's serving the Lord. He's loving the widows, man. You know, he's taking care of the kids. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 also says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and be tenderhearted and be courteous. Um, just a picture of the fellowship we have in Christ. Uh, I could probably go on for days about the koinonia thing, but I don't even really understand it too well myself. But it's the fellowship, man. It's great. So verse 4 says, In these things I write to you that your joy may be full. And I believe this is the, this is the sum up and, and the reason why we look at these first four verses. Um, you know, John writes about our joy being full, you know, our joy meter being full. Um, from every study and thing I looked at, man, it's, it's, it's important for me to express about the difference between joy and happiness. You know, um, can't stop thinking about that song, you know, I'm happy, come along if you feel it. And I'm like, man, that's, that's not good. When we sing praise the Lord, his mercy is, I feel a joy in that song rather than a happiness. And a happiness is a material circumstantial feeling when receiving something of the world that can give you that temporary happiness. Sometimes we can feel happy in fellowship with each other. We make each other laugh, but those things are fleeting. But the joy of the Lord is a joy that will go on for eternity by our relationship with him. And these, these false teachers from, uh, in this church in Asia Minor that were trying to bring up this new knowledge, this gnosko, which is the not, of, of knowing him, was not about knowing Jesus in the flesh, but it was about uh, a higher knowledge or a spiritual calling. And we're talking hear about the joy of the Lord being full and the difference between happiness. And, you know, a thing I want to share about is that Taylor guitar. This is on, on a happiness note. I got it for Christmas. It took me like a month, a year and a half to pay off. And I got it for one Christmas. And, man, I took it home, and it had this nice, fresh case, and it was, like, shiny. And I was opening it up, and I was kind of looking at it in the light and kind of making an idol out of it, you know. And I wound up looking up near the top of it, man, and there was this nice little crack. You know, I was so happy when I got it, man. I took it to church, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to play with Jeremy and Sean, and I'm going to worship. And that night I had it in my house, man. It was like 11 p.m., man. I nearly cried when I seen that crack in the body, man. I took it back to the guy I bought it from, and I was like, hey, man, I took it forever to pay this thing off, you know, and he took it, and he sanded it down, he filed it up, and then he gave it back to me with, like, some cheap strings on it, and my heart was broken, man, you know, and that happiness was depleted, and that's, you know, you can put that to anything in your life, man, as a, a new car, I know Charlie was into airplanes, man, I'm pretty sure he was happy when he made that new plane, but the joy didn't last long, but we're looking at the joy from the outpouring of the relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the God eternal who came in flesh, I'm going to say it again, died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, that you and I can have fellowship with God the Father. 
How amazing is that? Jesus said about joy in John 15, 9 through 17. I'm going to read it and let his words speak. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. See John going back, remembering the things that he's seen and he's heard being with Jesus. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And no longer do I call you servants. For servant, for a servant does not know his master, what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The basis, if we abide in relationship with Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit and the study of his word and the fellowship of the saints and the gathering of the church, fellowship is a community thing. What is the opposite of that? Isolation. Have you guys ever met those solo Christians, man? I mean, they got their Bible in the house. They got the old King Jimmy, and they're just like, if you ain't thou in an art, man, you, you know. And I, I respect that in a way, and, and I'm, I'm like, but you can't iron sharpens iron. We got a fellowship to grow as Christians and to keep each other growing in the love of the Lord. And, you know, that's just kind of what I see for the fellowship growing here in 2020. You know, we're stepping into an addictions ministry. Uh, we are dealing with guys who haven't known the Lord, they haven't been regenerated, their, their minds are wandering. And the thing that I've learned kind of about, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse. There's a verse, you know, the, the regeneration and the renewing of the mind. You guys, it's in Romans, I think, and, and being regenerated and re renewing of the mind. So when we gather in fellowship to worship, I'm going to step into some brain thinking here. The right brain is the part of your brain that is creative, it has the arts, it has the rhythm, it has the beats and the feelings. So when we pour out our worship to the Lord, our right brain is active. Now the left brain is the word and the logic and the language and the thinking of words and the intellect. So as we gather and we focus on, as Reveal FM would say, worship in the word, our minds are being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the songs we sing of Jesus. But our whole mind, the right brain is pouring out, the left is taking in the intellect of the word, transpiring the heart, and then trying to pour back out that praise once we respond to what the word says. If he's saying, repent, repent of your sins. If you want to know me more, study my word. Fellowship with my spirit. Um, you know, and as we step into the addictions ministry, I just want to share a little bit of testimony on the, on the active of the brain part. Um, Between the right and the left side of the brain, when we gather the worship and study the word, these men that we're going to be dealing with have been running off the instinctual part of their minds and their hearts, which are the four basic instincts that, I, that God has given that Jesus came and even taken on. But, the, you know, the one is we need food and water. We need food to eat and water to sustain life in our body. We need shelter from the elements. Uh, whether it's raining or snowing, you can't really survive outside. You've got to get heat and you've got to stay alive. The other instinct we carry in our midbrain is what I've learned, but I believe it's an instinct of the heart. I can't really take it out, but it's self-defense. Once we have the food and water and the shelter, we have to defend that because others are looking for that and they will come for it. 
And then the fourth part is the procreation part of the brain, which, which is the intimacy part of the brain, which is designed for marriage within a man and a woman in a relationship to be intimate with each other. And for those that don't know God, these things are running wild. As you would see in my life, my drug addiction and alcoholism was driven solely off of the procreation part of my brain that desired pleasure. When I met the Lord, he broke through all those instincts and put a new spirit in me. And his word came alive to every one of those instincts. And I started growing and knowing him. And he started replacing the drive for all that food. As if I was stressed out or anxious, I would run to food. Or I would run to another home or fight or flight. I was fighting. I was angry. And I was engaging crazily in a sexually immoral lifestyle. And this was all running off of the instincts of my life and the pleasure symptoms of drugs and alcohol, which was, I was deceived into having a relationship with. Satan deceived me that this was going to bring me comfort. You know, something I learned growing up. And when the Lord broke in, his words started coming alive. And when we're, we're putting the word into these guys who are struggling with, let's say, a food addiction. And Jesus said to him in John 6.35, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The word of the Lord speaks directly into that by a spirit of the instinct that might be driven with an addiction. John 4.13 says, Jesus, as he was talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And I just love the way that the Lord speaks directly into these things that might be running in through our lives. If we're struggling with that addiction, hold tight to the word. Listen to Jesus. You know, and we start to find that balance in life. Um, shelter from the elements. If we, if we, you know, John says in, uh, I don't have the thing, but it starts in 14. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is speaking in my father's house. There are many mansions, and if it were not so... I would have not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So as we do instinctively need shelter from the elements, Jesus will take a word and put it in you. to say, listen, this world is not your home. I will give you enough to get through this life. But right now I'm going to prepare a place for you. I mean, many mansions. I wouldn't lie to you. If I'm going to do it, man, I'm coming back to get you. And that's the hope we have, that we can be content with what we have now. Because we know eternity and glory is coming with our Savior. In the self-defense, let the Lord fight your battles. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, that no one should take advantage or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, the Lord's fighting your battles right now. Protecting you. He's got a shield of protection ahead over you. And now the procreation part. This is what we see that drives probably 95% of our country. It's on every billboard. It's on every sign. It's showing up on your phone. Sexually driven culture. Uh, you know, I can testify to my life. You guys have seen and I've shared with you and had you pray for me over the consequences of my sin of growing up and not knowing the Lord and having children that I had to give up for adoption. But I promise to tell you that the Lord has restored and he's continuing to restore that relationship because I trust in him. Just want to share with you guys that I got to go bowling with him over Christmas. And my middle-aged son was bowling. And I said, man, you got to curl your foot around when you roll the ball and you'll roll it straight. Man, the boy rolled three strikes in a row, a turkey. And I think that memory is going to stick with him forever, man. I got to give him my email address and my phone number. 
And the parents were asking me about the Lord. They were telling me their experiences with church. And, you know, even though it's painful and it's like a thorn in my flesh to remind me, Aaron, if you want to go back out and live in the flesh, look at what I've done and look at what you can give up as you guys can see my life now. The Lord is renewing that, man. He's restoring. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore everything that the crawling, that the locusts have eaten, you know. I, I can't forget them all, but, you know, they come, man. And he's restoring all that stuff. And it's a testimony of trusting in his word and allowing his spirit to take over these instincts that my fleshly body has that's carnal. And trusting in him and who he is. And, um... The word to go with that I found in Luke was 1027. And Jesus answered them and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The full makeup of the human life. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, before you met the Lord, you might have thought love was some form of lust. But when he comes and puts his spirit in you and shows you who he is by the power of his word, you realize that a love would speak the truth into your life and tell you what you're doing is wrong. And there's a cross where God paid the price on the altar that you can turn from that. It was hard to swallow in the beginning. But praise the Lord that he was faithful. Um... Romans 12, 1 through 2. Once we've met Jesus and the power of 1 John writing this out and just declaring, you know, he's probably 90 years old. This is the one that we have seen, which we have heard, which we have seen our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You know, Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 through 2, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as of living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the verse I was looking for. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is as good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That's the power of his spirit. He has the power to break down the carnal instincts that our, that our lives are given, fill us with compassion. The fruit of the spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, long-suffering, and a couple more, and he gives us these things. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. I just see the Spirit working in John's life as he's writing out this epistle. He's he's, he's fighting away a heresy that's rising up, and he is teaching us about fellowship. He's teaching about the God of eternity stepping into a human body to show us how to live this life sinless. Uh, we could continue on in the rest, but I think I'll, I'll save that for another time. I just want to um, reiterate the power of what the Lord can do. Um, he's done it all for us. We can't earn it. We can't receive it. I mean, we can receive it, but we just can't do anything to gain it. It's done. He's paid the price. We're set free. Um, let's walk in the power of His Spirit.
I'll go ahead and pray. Jeremy, if you want to come back up, we'll finish up. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for your blood, Lord, of your son that you shed on the cross, Lord, that we could be free from sin, Lord. And I pray that if there's anything in anybody's heart this evening, Lord, they would bring that to you during this last song, Lord, and just to see you high and lifted up, Father. You draw us unto yourself, Lord, by your grace and mercy, because you desire to know us, Lord. You already know us, and, and we desire to know you, Father. So I thank you for what you have done, Lord. Would you help us, Lord, throughout this new year, God? Give us fresh vision, Lord, and, and to see the world the way that you see it, God, the way to see the ones around us the way that you see them, Lord. You love them, Lord, and you died for them, God. And let us love them as we love ourselves, Lord. Help us to bring them into the kingdom, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, would you use us? Not by might, not by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, would you help us do that this year? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.